The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, it sounds like Cameron Newton has learned a lot during his short time with the New England Patriots. Yes, winning is expected and losing is not acceptable with the Patriots thanks to the way the Patriots have spoiled the fan base for the last 20 years. We'll be with you for the next 60 minutes. She's Shereen Williams. I'm Mike Florio. Shereen, good afternoon. How's everything? Everything's good, Mike. Good to join you again on a Friday. And here we are, week eight, almost the fulcrum of the regular season. That would be next weekend, assuming there isn't an 18th week at this point. Who knows whether or not there will be an 18th week. But so far, seven weeks played, every game scheduled, even though it took a little rearranging, has been played so far. The Patriots so far at two and four, they've got a big one this weekend at Buffalo. It's weird to think that it would be considered an upset if the Patriots actually win. But it would be. And the Bills have been looking forward to having the Patriots in this position for so long. I'm not sure they know what to do. It could get a little bit easier for the Buffalo offense because Stephon Gilmore, Patriots cornerback, is listed as questionable with a knee injury. He reportedly suffered a tweak on Thursday, had an MRI, not a serious injury. They're not sure whether or not he's going to play. I thought it would be Stephon versus Stephon, Gilmore versus Diggs. And it's going to be a lot harder for the Patriots to pull this one off if for some reason they don't have Gilmore available on Sunday, Shereen. It absolutely is, Mike. I think he's the best player on the team. He's the defending defensive player of the year for the NFL. They need him out there. And you look at those Bills receivers, and it's going to be a daunting task with him. But without him, I I just don't see them doing it. And uh, they need him on the field. They need him to do whatever he can to play. And I know sometimes players just can't go. So you hope he can go if you're a Patriots fan because he gives you a better chance of winning, even though your chances aren't great as it is. You know, I got a text from an executive with another team today, and other teams are not going to shed any tears for the Patriots as they finally struggle with the issues that every other team except the Patriots have struggled with at some point or another in the last 20 years. But this is the question that was raised. Do you think Gilmore really hurt the knee or just didn't like hearing he could be traded and was sending a middle finger to Bill Belichick? No one will trade for him now if he has a knee injury. And look, I I don't know. I'm just sharing what others are speculating. And it is a little odd that it happened at a time when there have been suggestions that Gilmore and other other Patriots players could be available, depending upon what would be offered. And it wouldn't stun anyone if Bill Belichick traded some guys. He likes to get rid of players a year too early instead of a year too late. And, you know, Shireen, here's the reality. If there is any problem with Stephon Gilmore, There won't be a significant offer coming through between now and Tuesday. You wonder if he wants to be traded, though, Mike. He did put his house on the market yesterday, according to reports. So maybe he does want out. But if he wants out, then he better not be faking the knee injury because that's the way to get out is to be healthy and show you're still the reigning defensive player of the year. It's been a long time since he's uh, missed a game and he's played almost 100 percent of the snaps, 98 percent of the snaps this season. 
So it's not too often that he's out of the lineup, but if he wants to be traded, and I guess that's a question, but if he wants to be traded, he, he better be in the lineup playing awfully good as he was playing awfully good uh, earlier in the season. It was Albert Breer of SI.com who once upon a time was embedded with the Patriots while with NFL Network until he asked Bill Belichick some questions Belichick didn't like. Then Albert Breer was embedded with other teams. Now Breer with SI.com reported earlier this week that the Patriots had had some trade conversations regarding Gilmore back in March, April, and August. And then Breer reported yesterday that the Patriots, frankly, like any other team, would listen to offers for almost anyone on the roster. Belichick was asked about the possibility that they will be sellers as the trade deadline approaches. Here's what Belichick had to say. If you guys lose this weekend, are you automatic sellers at the trade deadline? I think that's what everybody's wondering and kind of the talk radio fodder. And maybe it's not something you entertain, but that I think is, is the question. Yeah. Come on, Bill. Well, I, I guess I'll just put it nicely and and pass on the opportunity to get involved in talk radio. It's really a you know a, a tough one for me to say no to, but I, I'm just going to say no to talk radio questions. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Thank I appreciate the opportunity to get involved. Sure does. Uh, look, always entertaining, and uh, uh, I'm sure that it's terrifying to have to ask Bill Belichick questions. At least they're not there in person. That's the only saving grace this year. But again, any team would listen to offers for almost any players. We've talked about that this week. There's only a handful of guys who are truly untouchable that you hang up the phone or you start laughing hysterically if someone calls and says, hey, are you interested in trading Patrick Mahomes? So, yeah, they would listen to offers for almost anyone, of course. And if you offer enough, then you make the move. That's just the way it works. The difference this year is they'd be more inclined to listen and maybe more inclined to take less because if they lose on Sunday, it could be time to fold the tents on 2020, even though there's that seventh seed that they could get their act together and and get to nine and seven and maybe still get to the postseason tree. Our good friend Tom Kern from NBC Sports Boston wrote a, a great uh, column on uh, Gilmore and says it's not a matter of when. It's I mean, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when he's going to be traded, whether it's now at the trade deadline or after the season. He doesn't expect Gilmore to be back uh, with the Patriots next season. And he does have one year left on his contract. But, Mike, if I'm Seattle in particular, and they're always in on top players, but 32nd-ranked defense in the NFL – if I'm particularly Seattle, but Tennessee, Tampa Bay, any of these teams that think they have a chance to win a Super Bowl, New Orleans, whoever, I would make a call to the Patriots, and I would want Stephon Gilmore on my team. I think he's still, if not the best cornerback in football, he's definitely in the top five, and he will improve whatever team he goes to. So it's not only about getting him on your team to help your team, but keeping him off of one of these other contenders. I think he's going to end up with somebody because I think somebody's going to make a really good offer to the Patriots that they can't turn down. And I do think they're looking to trade him. So it's going to be an interesting next few days, I think, for the Patriots, Gilmore, and see who else uh, they have that they might ship out. I don't see a ton of players on that roster that I would want. I mean, they had eight opt-outs. A lot of those guys you might be talking about have opted out of this season. So 
I don't see a ton of other players getting traded, but I do think there's a high possibility that this guy is gone at some point in the next few days. We saw the Lions get active the other day, trading for Cowboys defensive end Everson Griffin. And if I were Bill Belichick, the Lions are the team that I would hope would call Matt Patricia, former defensive coordinator, knows Stephon Gilmore. Bob Quinn had been part of that Patriots cabal before he got the job. So there's a line of communication there. And I'd say the Lions of all those teams, the most likely to have the highest draft pick if it would be a first rounder that you could get for Stephon Gilmore. So I would want the Lions first round pick over anyone else's if I could choose. And who knows what the Lions may be thinking along those lines. I was surprised they traded for Everson Griffin, but here they are at three and three. And if they would get Stephon Gilmore, they do become serious contenders for the seventh seed or the sixth seed in the NFC. So here's the thing that that I've believed all week. Wednesday, Thursday were the action days for trades. It doesn't mean they can't happen, but if you want the guy for week nine, yesterday was the day to do it. If you wait until after Sunday, you're not going to have the guy for week nine. Now, for the Bengals, Browns, Rams, Eagles, doesn't matter. They don't play week nine if they would be interested in a guy like Stephon Gilmore. For the other 27 teams, you're not going to have him for week nine, period. And that may be okay. And you know, the Patriots and some of these other teams, Shereen, they may want to see what happens this weekend before they make final decisions. That's always a dynamic as we approach the trade deadline. The Vikings, for example, if they would somehow beat the Packers and move the two and five, different vibe altogether than one and six. So it may be one of these things where let's see how it goes Sunday. If the Patriots win, maybe they keep Stephon Gilmore. If they don't win, then maybe it's time to move on. So I, I agree with you, though. I think other teams should be interested. The question is, are you comfortable with the salary next year? And are you willing to give up a first round pick to improve your defense now? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I want him on my team. I'm willing to give whatever it takes, especially a team like the Bucks. Now, I, I realize they don't have the cap room probably to fit him under. Maybe they can work it to, to make it work. But, you know, a team like that that's really all in for one year, I'm going all in for Stefan Gilmore. I want him on my team, and I think he can help make us a better team. No matter who I have at cornerback, he's going to make you better. You never have too many cornerbacks. So you look at what the Vikings are going through now with Mike Hughes now on injury reserve and everything else. They're, they're, the top three cornerbacks may be out on Sunday. You just can never have enough good cornerbacks, and he's one of the best in the business. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Buccaneers try to pull something off. They've already pushed all their chips into the middle of the table. Yeah. They've thrown the watch onto the pile. They've thrown the keys onto the pile. You may as well put the deed on there, too. What the hell? Let's go get a Super Bowl win, and let's do it with Stephon Gilmore on top of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette and LaShawn McCoy and, most recently, Antonio Brown. All right, the San Francisco 49ers have had somewhere between 13 and 20 guys on injured reserve this year. Tevin Coleman is back at practice. He could be activated to the active roster. He was injured week two against the New York Jets. He's got a knee problem. 49ers are hopeful, according to GM John Lynch. He was on KNBR earlier today and said that Coleman had a heavy workload at practice on Thursday, and they'd like to get him back. And it would be very helpful to the 49ers if they could get him because Jarek McKinnon is on Injured reserve. No, not Jarek McKinnon. Raheem Mostert's on injured reserve. Jarek McKinnon and Jamichael Hasty are the only two healthy tailbacks right now on the roster. So we'll see if they get Tevin Coleman. They need something by way of that that running game punch. And yes, they use tight ends and fullbacks and receivers, but they they 
wouldn't be worse off if they could get Tevin Coleman, Shereen, especially in a game where you know the Seahawks are going to get their points. And a point that Peter King made earlier today on PFT Live, if you're the 49ers, you want to shorten the game, you want to grind it out, you want to possess the ball, and you want to keep Russell Wilson on the sidelines as long as you can. So if they have Tevin Coleman, they're better off against a very bad Seattle defense. I'm just so impressed, Mike, with the depth that the 49ers have. Because like you said, it, it feels like they've had their whole roster on injury reserve at one point or another. Guys missing like Jimmy Garoppolo. And Jeff Wilson's another running back you didn't mention who played terrific last week in the absence of Raheem Moser. And then he got hurt and went on injury reserve. And they just keep bringing these running backs up. And, you know, they do have Jarek McKinnon and Jamichael Hasty, And if they get Tevin Coleman back, I think they're even in better shape. He hasn't played since week two when he hurt that knee uh, against the Jets, but he has 18 carries for 30 yards and three receptions for 34 yards this season. So he'll definitely be, I think, their starting running back, maybe on a pitch count of sorts um, coming back, but I they can use him, and they just keep bringing guys out and somehow managing to stay in the race. I keep waiting to write them off. I've written them off three or four times now, and they just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens get together. Game of the day, 6-0 Pittsburgh, 5-1 Ravens. A huge game, especially for the Ravens, because for them, the best path to the Super Bowl is to avoid the Chiefs. We're not the ones who called the Chiefs their kryptonite. Lamar Jackson did. So you need to win the division. You need to try to get the one seed. You need to hope that somebody like the Titans which did this to the Ravens last year, would go into Kansas City and score the upset in the divisional round so you can then welcome the Titans to you for a berth in the Super Bowl. Well, if you lose to the Steelers at home tomorrow, you got a major problem because then you're two games behind the Steelers. you got to play in Pittsburgh later in the season. If they win in Pittsburgh, then they hold the tiebreaker, so you've got to catch them and get ahead of them in order to win the division. Huge, huge game for Baltimore. Here's Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach, talking about what to expect for his 25th Regular season game against John Harbaugh and the Ravens. You know what the Ravens games are about, man. They are a top-notch organization and football team. They got talent across the board. Um, they're familiar with us. Uh, we're familiar with them. There's continuity within schematics on both staffs and, and core players and things. And I think that that's what adds to the intrigue. Um, you should anticipate it being a physical and rough and tumble game because history tells us that. Um, and I think how the two teams are playing this year uh, also gives you that indication, man. I can't say enough about them. Uh, so the, the Steelers and the Ravens will have a rough and tumble game. We know that. And the most amazing, it's not really a stat. It's just a fact. The most amazing fact of the week for me is that Lamar Jackson has only started one game in his career against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played a little bit as a rookie against the Steelers he started last year's game that went to overtime, and the Ravens won, even though the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger for that game. Week 17, all the key starters sat. So this is only opportunity number two for the starting Steelers defense to go after Lamar Jackson, and we know, Shereen, what the Steelers defense does. At a time when there's so much consternation about some defenses with the kid gloves treatment of quarterbacks who choose to run, the Steelers do not have that affliction. With Carson Wentz, if he runs, you hit him. With any other mobile quarterback, if he runs, you hit him. We saw what happened to Aggie great Ryan Tannehill when he had the misfortune <laughs> of crossing the line of scrimmage with the ball 
last Sunday. Vince Williams almost sent him to the other side of the stadium with the hit that he applied. So Lamar Jackson's got to be ready for it. He got sacked five times last year against the Steelers. It's the most he's been sacked in a regular season game in his career in the NFL. He had three interceptions against the Steelers. Uh, they're they're going to be coming for him. And, you know, the Ravens' problem may not be a Chiefs' problem. The Ravens' problems may, may be an elite team problem. And an elite team is coming to Baltimore on Sunday. Yeah, they have a lot to prove, that's for sure. And and it's funny we're saying that because this was a team that was the best team in the AFC last season, went 14-2. and Uh, But Pittsburgh looks like the better team, and they're now number one in total defense. And we've talked about all the name players they have on that defense. And you start going down that list, and it's one after another. And and it's going to be really hard when you start voting for All-Pro Uh, How many of those guys do you put on the all-pro list and which ones do you put on? Because there's many of them on that Pittsburgh defense who are going to deserve it. But i tell you what, Mike, whatever the over-under is, and I didn't look to see what it was, whatever the over-under is, please pick the under because these are two good defenses that are going to go after it all day. And I just don't see a lot of points being scored in this game by either team. You know, here's the thing, though. We're we're conditioned to view Steelers-Ravens as 15-12, 16-13. They've had some higher-scoring games in recent years, and they both have fairly potent offenses. So the Steelers have been scoring plenty of points, and I I hope it's a game like last week's Steelers-Titans game, 27-24 in that range. I hope there's some scoring and that it's not all grinded-out defense, And, and both offenses, I think, are good enough to make it happen. And I think, look, this is a game where you look at it and you say, okay, the Ravens win this when they have to win this, when they can't afford to lose this one, and the Steelers are due to lose. That's fine. Go ahead and think that about the Steelers. I just feel like this is one of those years where it's all falling just right for the Steelers each and every week. And frankly, this is one of the games they should lose, even if they lose this one. I think 13-3 and three is a realistic record for the Steelers this year. And the question is, can they get themselves in position to host playoff games? All right, let's take a quick break. We've got plenty to get to today. We've got our can't wait to see segment on the games coming up on Sunday. And also, we're going to answer some of your best questions. Before that, though, an interview that I taped earlier today with Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph as they emerge from their bye week, trying desperately to avoid falling to one and six. We'll hear from Kyle Rudolph when PFTPM continues. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... 
every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Friday's PFTPM continues with a good friend of the program. He's Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph. Kyle, what's going on, man? Not much, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate talking to you, and I'm curious about a lot of things happening with the Minnesota Vikings, as you may imagine. Can you give me one word to describe this season so far? Uh, I think if I had to describe this season one word, it would be frustrating. Uh, and I would say frustrating because, you know, when you when you look at the body of work that we've had over the last six weeks, you know, you sit here at one and five. But you look at the fact that we played three teams that were three of the last undefeated teams. Uh, we were in each of those games, lost two of them by one point. Um, so you you are what your record says you are. That's that's the business we're in. It's about wins and losses. But at the same time, I think we're much better than a one in five football team. So, you know, thankfully for us, we had the opportunity over the bye week to evaluate things that we've done well. And obviously there are things that we're doing to cause us to lose football games and we're able to address those. Uh, if we can eliminate those and continue to do the things that we've done well over the last month and a half, uh, you know, we got a chance to, to win a few football games and see where we're at. There's a saying in football that you don't want to let one loss turn into two. How much do you think that the disappointing loss in Seattle hovered over to the team to the point where it impacted the ability to win against the Falcons the following Sunday? Uh, no doubt. I mean, we've struggled with that big time here over the last few years, whether it's um, emotional wins. Uh, I think back to the 2017 playoffs, the 2019 playoffs, uh, you win big games at the end and then have a letdown the following week. Um, and it's no different when you have an emotional game and you're on the losing side. So, you know, like I said, for us, we were able to kind of go back over the bye week and, you know, believe it or not, you know, for us as an offense, we found nine or 10 things that were in, in the top five of the league in, but then, you know, you go and figure out, okay, well, why are we still one and five? And you look at our turnovers and our play in the third quarter. And, you know, we just, we can't put ourselves in those situations and, and beat teams week in and week out. And, and I know it's useful to have that bye week to have the opportunity to reflect and reset. But at the end of the day, you got to go back and play again. You got the Packers coming up on Sunday. How does having that opportunity to soul search and self scout and reflect, how does that translate to a better product and more wins the rest of the way? Uh, by eliminating the things that we identified to cause us to lose football games. You know, like I said, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, the list was certainly longer of things that we're doing well. But at the end of the day, uh, those two or three things that we identified as causing us to lose football games are what are the glaring mistakes right now. And, you know, the only way that that study, that self-scout uh, is effective is if we go out and focus on those issues and eliminate them. The offense overall this year has seemed different in ways, although at times it looks a lot like it did last year. From your perspective on the field, running the plays, what's been the biggest difference in the offense from last season to this season? 
Well, I think, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, uh, the offenses from last year to this year are very similar. Uh, but anytime you have a change in play caller, uh, you know, the things that they like to rely on, the things that they like to get to, the rhythm that they get in as a play caller is different. And I think that's the thing you see this year with Gary calling plays as opposed to Kevin. The, the fact that you don't have fans at one of the loudest stadiums, which creates one of the best home field advantages in the NFL, how much of a distraction or an issue is that? Just the fact that it's a crazy upside-down season in a crazy upside-down world, do you think that's crept in at all and affected the performance of the team? Well, I mean, first of all, I have to say that we're extremely fortunate to be even out there on Sundays and, and playing. So, uh, you know, you got to kind of look at it from that perspective. But at the same time, you know, I can go back to week one, the last time we played these guys. And I think Aaron got us on hard counts three times. And, you know, in a normal year with fans, we might get them with three false starts. And, and there's certainly no way he can use a hard count in U.S. Bank Stadium. So, um, you know, I think that's been one of the advantages that we've had and lost not having fans in the in the crowd this year. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's that way everywhere. It's not like there's a stadium or two that's at capacity and, and they have this great home field advantage. Uh, you know, we've played in Seattle with no fans. We've played in Indy with very little fans, Houston with very little fans. So uh, it's kind of just the nature of every stadium in the NFL right now. Now, look, I know your goal at this point is to turn it around and win games and pull back into the playoff conversation, especially since there's seven spots this season in the NFC. But I know that from the league's perspective, there's a huge concern, Kyle, about teams when they fall out of contention, the players maybe not being as careful about keeping the virus out of the facility, keeping mm -hmm. themselves on the right side. How much of it is a concern for you that if the Vikings don't turn it around and you get to the point where the last four or five games don't count per se, that, that maybe guys aren't going to be as careful as they've been all year? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, you know, our guys realize this, and I, I certainly hope that guys across the league realize it, that, um, you know, if you don't play, you're not getting paid. So uh, no matter if you're 2-12 and 12 or 12-2 12 and 2 at the end of the year, and, uh, you know, if you get lax on these protocols that the NFL and the NFLPA have put in place and, you know, you cause an outbreak on your team, you know, at that point, we're out of bye weeks to move games around and, you know, it'll be hard to reschedule games. So uh, if, if we don't play, you're not going to get your paycheck. So uh, hopefully that's enough motivation throughout the locker rooms across the league uh, to make sure that we get this finished. I know it happened during the bye week, so it wasn't a normal practice week where guys would be together like they normally are. But the Yannick Ngakwe trade, what kind of shockwave did that send through the roster? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, you know, I'm in a different situation than most of the guys are here, being that I've been here for 10 years and, uh, you know, have a feel for our front office and the decisions that they make. And, uh, you know, I've learned over the last 10 years to, to trust their decisions and know that they always have uh, this team and this organization's best interest in mind. And, you know, when, when you look at it and you look at the future of this organization, um, you know, our salary cap problems going forward, knowing that we probably won't be able to keep him here next year uh, and you get an extra draft pick out of it to, to help make this team better next year. So, you know, I, I always have the, the utmost respect and faith in our front office to, to make tough decisions like that. Now, anytime something like this happens, the obvious reaction from the outside is who's next. And I've seen 
the name Kyle Rudolph mentioned by some in the media as a guy who could be next. What what kind of anxiety level do you have that you're going to get a phone call from someone with the team telling you that between now and Tuesday at four o'clock central time, you're going to be finishing the season and your career elsewhere? Uh, well, I, you know, I joked around a couple of times this week that I feel like I, I've been on the trade block for the last three years <laughs> and, and I'm still here in Minnesota. So, uh, you know, I, I love it here. I hope to finish my career here. But, you know, a, as you know, when you're around this business long enough, it is a business and, and people have to make decisions. So, you know, I can't control that. Uh, all that I can control is going out to practice and, and doing everything I can to prepare myself to go play well against the Green Bay Packers. Has anyone given you an indication that you're you're safe, that it's not going to happen this year? Uh, like I said, I, I haven't heard anything. Uh, you know, I joked about being on the trade block for the last three years, uh, and, and I found myself on uh, a few other teams a couple different times. Uh, in reality, I'm still here, so uh, I don't see anything. I know the folks in Minnesota are glad you're still there, and they hope you stay there for the rest of your career and beyond. Tell us about this auction that you currently have going on. There, there are some fascinating items. There's one in particular that uh, I think plenty of people would love to get behind the wheel of, Kyle. Yeah, we. so I had a Polaris slingshot, and it's an incredibly fun three-wheel vehicle. And um, it was funny because I, I got a different Polaris. I got a Ranger, which is a little more practical than a two-seat kind of motorcycle vehicle. Um, and like most decisions in your life when you when you buy a new toy and there's not room in the garage uh the wife comes in and says all right you need to get rid of the old one uh you know so, so what are we going to do with the slingshot and um with our involvement at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, we haven't been able to do a lot of the events that we are accustomed to doing on a normal year. Uh, so we thought this was a great way to raise a little bit of money for the hospital um, and try to help everyone that's at the hospital that we would normally help with a lot of events throughout the year. Yeah, and that's available to bid on. Tell us where we can bid on it and what other items are available. So if, if you go on either of my social media pages, Twitter, Instagram, uh, there's a link that has the auction on it. And, you know, obviously we understand. I, I think the slingshot is up over $20,000 right now. And, you know, not everyone has $20,000 to donate for a slingshot. So there are other items, um, you know, a, a pair of my cause, my cleats, uh, from a few years back that were for the Children's Hospital um, and then a signed helmet as well. So there are other auction items that you can go on and, and auction. And there's actually even a, a last part that just is a straight donation to the hospital. So uh, just trying to do our best uh, to raise some money for the hospital during difficult times. Well, Kyle, I'll tell you this. I've got a nephew who is extremely generous with his uncle's money, and he actually sent me a link to the slingshot auction before he even knew that I was going to be talking to you. So he's trying to get me to bid on, but the problem is I'd be in the same situation you are. I've got a Polaris Ranger. I'd have to get rid of that to fit the slingshot in the garage. So then I could auction that off. And it just, I guess it would just continue indefinitely. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great what you're doing, Kyle. And we will give the auction plenty of publicity at profootballtalk.com. We wish you all the best and here's to a victory on Sunday and many more for the Vikings the rest of the year. Thanks for some of your time. Thanks, Mike. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. There's your weekday lineup on... Peacock, NBC Sports, coming up after work completed. Chris Sims on button. No, he's not live. He's not working. He doesn't work on Fridays. He's too good to work on Fridays. And he hates that picture, which makes me like that picture in the lower right even more. Shereen, we need to get your photo on there somewhere. We just have the logo for PFTPM. So, yeah, what's we'll that about? That. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We, we will launch an investigation and find out. And maybe the next time they update the grid, we'll have Shereen in there as well. All right. Week eight is here. National Football League 2020 season. Here's hoping that the next 10 weeks are pulled off without any problems. What can't you wait to see when Sunday rolls around? Mike, I'm old enough to remember when Le'Veon Bell played for the New York Jets. And since we're the same age, (laughs) I know you remember that too. It was actually only a couple weeks ago, of course, (laughs) vaguely. October 14th, the Jets cut him and he signed with the Chiefs, went from the worst team to the NFL to defending Super Bowl champions, and now he gets to play against his former team. Everyone says this isn't Le'Veon against the Jets. Of course it's Le'Veon against the Jets. We want to see what Le'Veon's going to do against his former team, and I guarantee you he's going to be a bigger part of the game plan and get more touches than he did in his first game for Kansas City. This is going to be a big Le'Veon game, and I think he's going to come up big for the Chiefs this week. Yeah, six rushing attempts for 39 yards against the Broncos, no catches, but there's no contest between the Chiefs and the Jets. The only source of intrigue for this game is what Le'Veon Bell does, what he may say, what sort of interaction there may be if he you know, by way of the flow of the play ends up toward the New York sideline. That's the only intrigue for this. This is one of the best teams in football against one of the worst teams that we have seen in the last insert number of years. I mean, yes, there's been two 0-16 teams since 2008, but the Jets just aren't competitive. And the Jets are two games away from their bye week, and it makes you wonder what they're going to do during their bye week. But they've got the Chiefs, they've got the Patriots, both on the road. And the only thing intriguing about this game on Sunday is whether and to what extent Le'Veon Bell will be used heavily and what he may say or do during the game and what he may say after the game. First up for me, and we've been waiting for this ever since the Miami Dolphins made Tua Tonga-Vailoa the fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft. We didn't know when. I thought it should have been week one. I think if you're going to pick a quarterback that high, you need to be ready to use him right away. It was surprising that after the Dolphins moved to 3-3 three and three, when they blow out the 49ers and then they beat 
the Jets, shut out the Jets. They make the switch from Fitzpatrick to Tua. They had the bye week to get Tua ready. Now they've got the Rams coming to town. And I want to see what Tua can do, obviously. Does he pass the eyeball test? We didn't see him in the preseason. Usually we get that chance in August to see, like last year, a Kyler Murray. How does he look against backups? It it doesn't matter. It's still NFL caliber talent. How is he? Is he he just horrible? Or does he look like he's really got it? And that's what we're going to find out from Tua pretty quickly. And I don't rule out the possibility of the Dolphins winning. You got the Rams going cross country on a short week. And Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, knows a thing or two about how to defend the Rams because his last game with the Patriots came against the Rams in Atlanta, a game in which that Rams offense only scored three points. But Tua, all eyes on him. Let's see. Does he look as good as Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert? Because he's the only one we don't know yet whether or not he can get it done. Five total snaps he's played. Mike made his debut last week and or two weeks ago in, in mop-up duty and went two for two in, in his limited action. But we've been waiting for this for a long time. This looks like a great rookie quarterback draft. Just looks terrific. And we want to see him do the same things that we've seen Burrow and Justin Herbert do. And they've done it consistently and been very good this year. And I think Tua's going to join them in, in being very good for the Dolphins. This is a tough matchup. What I do wonder, Mike, this is a changed bye week for the Dolphins. Was this the plan all along? Were they going to play him and announce it before the bye week, give him the bye week to get ready? And he said he took. Uh, watched extra film and took extra snaps and all that. But was, was this the original plan and the date moved up when the bye week changed? That's what we don't know. I don't know that that Brian Flores has been asked that question, but I would venture to guess that that was the plan all along and the bye week changed and they stuck with their plan to give him the bye week to get ready. That's a great point. And as it was originally scheduled, the bye was the sandwich between two games against the Jets. So a little easier to go with Tua Tonga-Vailoa coming out of the bye when you're facing the Jets a little bit harder when it's the Rams. And I also would like to know how much of this decision is coming from the top of the organization. Not that Stephen Ross would ever pick up the phone and say, go with Tua, but one of the privileges of being a billionaire is you don't have to come out and say it. You can drop a hint. And if the people who work for you hope to continue to work for you, they may understand what you are getting at. All right, next up, Shireen, what can't you wait to see on Sunday? I can't wait to see, Mike, and we're going to see this all year long, is the Browns' offense actually better without Odell Beckham? And all the Browns this week say, how disrespectful. dare you ask disrespectful. this? Disrespectful. Disrespectful. How dare you ask this question? Absolutely. And we heard it from Jarvis Landry and, and Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. But here's the thing, Mike. The only way they can, they can prove that wrong is by going out and being worse on offense. And I just don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. I, I think they're going to be really good without Odell Beckham, just like they were without him last week against the Bengals. You know, Baker was 22 of 23 after the first quarter when he went over five, almost 300 yards passing and five touchdowns. I just think it's going to allow him to throw to the open receiver not worry about Odell getting its targets. Odell had the most, still has the most targets of any player on the Browns roster and is second in catches. I mean, he was trying to get him the ball just to get him the ball, and, and that doesn't always work. And now he's able to spread out the ball. Rashard Higgins is going to take Odell's place. 
and he had over 100 yards after Odell left. I just think they're going to be a better offense without Odell, but they're going to prove it one way or another as we go through this year, but I think they're going to have a good week this week. I've got no problem with what any of the Browns said. I would expect them to talk that way. What else can you say as members of the organization? But it's not disrespectful for us in the media or us as fans to say, hmm, you know, that whole Odell thing created a lot of stress on the offense, a lot of stress on Baker Mayfield. And look how he played once that weight was off of him, of having to maybe stare down Odell Beckham Jr. a little bit longer than he otherwise would instead of just going through his reads and throwing to the open man. So we'll see. And you're right. The only way that they are proven to be accurate in what they're saying is if they actually are worse. And I don't think they will be. And this is that one game this weekend for them that falls into the category of, I don't know, like the Colts game. They've won every game they're supposed to win. They've lost every game they've supposed to win in spectacular or supposed to lose rather in spectacular fashion. The Colts and the Raiders are kind of like it could go either way. They still are looking at 10 wins, even if they lose to the Raiders. If they beat the Raiders, it could be 11 and five this year for the Cleveland Browns. I can't wait to see what Ben DiNucci does for the Dallas Cowboys. Starting quarterback, Sunday night football. Welcome to the NFL, Ben DiNucci. Seventh round draft pick out of James Madison. What does he have? What can he do? And it was on a Sunday night back in 2006 that we first saw Tony Romo in a game against the Panthers on Sunday night football. Now, the difference is Romo had three seasons to develop as the backup that no one really knew about. And Shereen, I was new at the time to this business. It was around 03, 04. Someone told me they really love this Tony Romo kid. And my response was, who the hell is Tony Romo? Right? Because he was undrafted out of directional (laughs) Illinois. And there was no buzz. There was no sizzle. But they loved him. And remember, when Sean Payton went to New Orleans in 2006, first order of business, tried to trade for Tony Romo, Bill Parcells, Probably told him something profane, but the gist of it was, no, thank you. Uh, You know, Danucci doesn't have that same sizzle, that same luster, that same appeal, because he hasn't been there long enough. And we don't know what he can do. And he didn't have an off-season program. So I I like the idea of just seeing what some guy that nobody knows much about can do. But I don't have a good feeling for Ben Danucci on Sunday night. Yeah, I don't either, Mike. And Andy Dalton is doubtful, but he's not going to play. And Jerry Jones said today on his radio show that he expects him to come back next week. But here's the thing, Mike. We didn't know much about Dak Prescott either in 2016, right? And it took an injury to Kellen Moore in training camp and then the preseason to Tony Romo. He comes out, he wins the job. So who knows? I'm not saying he's going to be the next Dak Prescott, but it took two injuries for him to get the starting job. Now he has, as he says, the chance of a lifetime. I listened to him. Uh, talk this week and he does not lack confidence I'll say that he he's ready to go and looking forward to this opportunity but I'm not sure it's going to go quite the way that Dak Prescott's first start went for the Cowboys there's actually plenty of intrigue this week what's next on your list well I'm going to go back to that Steelers Ravens game because I, I do want to see this game and I do want to see if the Steelers are for real I mean we think they are right but you know Ben Roethlisberger, because they are the only undefeated team, we haven't talked a lot about Ben Roethlisberger and the way he's played. He hasn't been great. It's been that defense that's really carried this team. And maybe it's time, and maybe this will be the week that Ben really has to make some plays. And he almost cost them last week with that interception 
uh, in the end zone, made a terrible decision throwing into double coverage, maybe triple coverage, and, and gets the pass tipped around and intercepted. Uh, and, and frankly, the Titans should have tied that game and taken it overtime. But it's time for him to step up and really be the guy that that we think he is. And he's been good. He's certainly been good enough. It's an undefeated team, but they have lived, feasted on that defense. I think at some point he's going to have to step up and make plays. And this may be the week. I know it's a tough defense, but he's going to have to make some plays for the Steelers to win this game. You know, of all the teams with great records in the NFL, their quarterbacks become de facto MVP candidates. There is not much talk about Ben Roethlisberger as an MVP candidate, even though the Steelers are the last remaining unbeaten team in the NFL. For me, and we talked earlier about it, but this is one of the most fascinating games of the year. The Patriots going to Buffalo as the underdogs. Can they upset the Bills? A question that has not been posed in decades. And I think back to week one, 2003. Remember when the Patriots cut Lawyer Malloy right before the season? Malloy signed with the Bills. And what happened week one? You remember the score of that game week one, 2003, Patriots at Bills? Do you remember? The Bills won the game, right? But I don't know. 31 nothing. 31 nothing. And that sparked the notorious Tom Jackson line about the Patriots. They hate their coach. Uh, (laughs) They would only win the next two Super Bowls. (laughs) But, but, you know, if the Patriots, and and that was a stunner when. The Bills won that game 31-0. It was a stunner. It may have been 0-4 after the Patriots had been defending champions. Either way, it was 0-3 or 0-4. I'm going to have to look it up now just to satisfy my own curiosity. But it was viewed as a major upset. It would be even more shocking if the Patriots would win 31-0 this weekend. I, I just It's going to be stunning if they win at all, given how bad they've performed. But this sets up like the kind of game that the Patriots just come out and methodically dismantle an opponent because we've seen from time to time over the last 20 years, the Patriots stumble. And when they stumble and everybody's ready to count them out, what do they always do, Shereen? They win. Remember the on to Cincinnati. What happened to Cincinnati? They got turned into mincemeat, whatever mincemeat is. So what's going to happen to the Bills now that the Patriots are on the ropes? That is uh, one of the most intriguing prospects of this week or any week of the season. It really is, Mike. And I hadn't realized it had been so long since the Bills won a division title, 1995. But, you know, they spent the entire offseason talking about, hey, Tom's gone. We got our chance now to win the division. Now's your chance basically to eliminate the Patriots. I mean, it doesn't technically, obviously, but it's going to put them in a huge hole they're not going to be able to dig themselves out of. But you're right. We always see the Patriots rebound. 2008 was the last time this team didn't go to the playoffs, and they were still 11-5, and had to play 15 games without Tom Brady. 2002, last time they didn't have double-digit wins. 2000 was the last time they had a losing record. So this is a team that always manages to win, always manages to stay in a race, and frankly always manages to win the AFC East. If the Bills are going to rule the East, they're going to win this game. If they if they're not going to rule the East, uh, then the Patriots are going to reestablish that. Hey, it still goes through us. It was 2003. The Patriots hadn't gone to the playoffs the year before. They were nine and seven and didn't win the division, but they did lose 31 nothing week one to the Bills. And then the rematch came in week 17. The Patriots won that game 31 to nothing, the ultimate bookend. And then of course they'd win the Super Bowl and the next one and. Three more since then, while the Bills are still trying to get back for the first time since the 1993 season. 
and win their first one. And there are real questions about the Bills over the last three weeks because they aren't nearly as good as they were the first four weeks of the season. What we're going to do is take a break. And when we come back, we're going to open up the mailbag and answer the best questions of the day as we wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Now, just a quick follow-up focusing on your nutrition and diet as it pertains to this point in the NFL calendar. Do you have a favorite Halloween candy? Uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of the candies aren't, aren't uh, you know, vegan because of the gelatin. But I'm a big marshmallow guy, and they make homemade marshmallows here, which are tremendous. Uh, but I'm a old-school circus peanut type of candy eater. I eat Skittles. Sour Patch are vegan, surprisingly, and the strawberry or the watermelon. So, yeah. So, um, cotton, um, not cotton candy, cotton candy too. But candy as a whole in my household, you know, with all these kids, man, you know, they'll be set to go all the way through December. Oh, Cam Newton taking me way back with the circus peanut. I'll tell you, Shireen, one of my mom's favorite candies was the circus peanut. I don't know what it was made out of. It was orange. If you left it out of the bag for more than a couple of hours, you could pound nails with it. The circus, And you still see the circus peanuts from time to time. It, it's, it's just a distinctive look, texture, and taste. And I'm, I'm stunned that Cam Newton has a soft spot for circus peanuts. What we haven't we talked about this the other night that we haven't seen in a long time is sugar sugar babies and sugar daddies remember those i remember those well and also smarties my wife got some candy for smarties. the two or three kids that actually will make it to the top of the hill that little that little individually rolled up with those little intensified sugar pellets that were man <laughs> bouncing off the walls with a few of those after uh, trick-or-treating back in the day. All right, let's answer some questions. First one comes from, I don't, I'm not familiar with this Twitter handle, Matt Casey 9 I'm not sure who that is. Pray for Joe Burrow with a banged-up offensive line. Also, if you could come up with a dream fantasy team of Halloween candy, what would it be? P.S. Mike, nobody cares about your fantasy team. Thanks, Matt Casey. Joe Burrow, though. No left tackle, no center, no right tackle. I mean, he'll have one. It just won't be the starter. And no Joe Mixon. Against the Titans, Shireen. You know, Joe Burrow has been great. The only problem is... Other than Mixon, no one around him is all that good. Godspeed, Joe Burrow. This does not look like a good matchup for him. You know, Mixon will miss his second consecutive game, and all those offensive linemen are out. And you could be playing an easier opponent than the Titans this week to have to face a team without all those guys. I mean, this is going to be a tough one for him, and we'll just see what type of quarterback he is. We know he can run. I think he's going to be running a lot this week. And look, this is one of those where I want to say, Trevor Lawrence, are you paying attention? Are you watching closely? Because Joe Burrow, and I know this makes people in Cincinnati upset, but the truth is he thought about making a power play and not playing for the Bengals. And he's been spectacular, but look at what's around him. And they're eventually going to get the guy killed with, even when the starters do play, he gets banged around. And uh, I, I just, I do worry about Joe Burrow staying healthy all year long. Ham spam, thank you, ma'am. Will Mike Zimmer get fired after losing to the Packers? This weekend, Shereen, let me just chime in on this first and foremost. They're not firing Mike Zimmer during the season. They're not firing Mike Zimmer after the season. But what's setting up here is next year, he's going to be the guy we put at the top of the list when it's time to put the hot seat coaches 
together. No question. He'll be at the top of the list. They absolutely are keeping Mike Zimmer after this week. They're keeping Mike Zimmer after the season. The pressure's going to be on him going forward, frankly. And 7-9 and nine in 2014, which was his first year there, was their worst record. I think they're going to have a worse record than that this year. Yeah, and I think he's going to have to string together consecutive playoff seasons. This every other year stuff's going to have to end. He's going to be hot seat in 2021. And even in 2022, if they if they fall apart again, he's not going to start hot seat if they make the playoffs. But I think he's going to be done after 2022. He needs two straight playoff seasons to save himself after this year if it continues the way that it has started so far. A red zone out. Is Todd Bowles proof that some guys are just better at being an offensive or defensive coordinator than a head coach? Can we really judge him for what he did with the Jets or judge anybody for what they did with the Jets? I mean, really, he, you know, he had the four years with the Jets and he was 24 and 40, no playoff appearances. I would love to see him get another chance. I would almost guarantee that to comply with the Rooney rule that some guy that some teams give him a chance to at least interview but he's been a terrific defensive coordinator. There's no question about that. I do think there are questions about him as a head coach. I'd like to see him go somewhere else and see if he can be a head coach. And he's not proof of it. Wade Phillips and North Turner are proof of it. It's already been proven. They, they are so good when they become coordinators again, they continue to be hired as head coaches. And it was lather, rinse, repeat multiple times. Here's what I'll say. If the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl, I think Bruce Arians walks away. Between Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles, one of those guys will be the head coach the next year. It'll be interesting to see who it is. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks, Shereen. We'll see everybody back here Monday morning for PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.